Oh, I was hoping he was gonna do that. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 17 of Chicken Space. It's late afternoon, a rainy day. Chickens are quiet mostly. Oh, you might hear them a little bit in the background. They're out chomping their food down after a day of laying eggs, scratching around. And uh, today, I'm looking forward to sharing with you a hike that I just got back from. One of the super special places here about Many Spokes Farm with our happy hens is uh, we are literally on the edge of the wild. We're up at close to 2,000 feet, maybe 1,900. Uh, you can look forward to Manson and Lake Chelan. But if you're looking back of us, there's all this wild land, Bureau of Land Management land, National Forest land, uh, and literally you just hike off the edge of our property and you're in it. Um, up behind us there's this big granite bluff, cliff, and I've been looking up there for months and today took the hike up there, uh, even was snowing on me for a while, three dogs and a cat took the whole trip. Um, so looking forward to sharing that with you. A uh, piece of it is, uh, again, just uh, notes for another planet. And the notes that I've been really thinking about a lot lately and listening um, to uh, podcasts and videos while I take care of the chickens is notes about um, what's happening to our economy, both nationally and globally. Negative interest rates, period of three weeks, pumping in a trillion dollars into our banks back in 2008. Uh, we put in 80 billion per month. Now we're doing 75 or more billion dollars per day. It's like not normally part of my interest, um, but has become very interesting to me. I remember back in 2008, I'll talk more about this in the podcast, but friends we were living with almost lost their house. I mean, not joking matters. But uh, also a piece of it is just, um, and I'm starting to pay more attention to this, like the emotions that come up for me, just this had a really deep sadness yesterday and today. I'm just kind of thinking about this, thinking back to 11 years ago in 2008, thinking about now and these signs of we're really imminently, uh, it seems, moving into that time again. And uh, so I, rather than uh, trying to do my ice uh, work all through that before I made the podcast, uh, I did it on the hike and I, I made the podcast on the hike and shared that experience with you. Why? Because I want I want ice to be as helpful as possible to people. This removing of the upsets from our life, not the care, not the concern, but the reactivity of those upsets, so that that's not really um, having to, to um, take the energy out of my day. It's not ignoring the sadness or anything like that. It's paying attention to it, so that it ultimately becomes uh, relieved and one can live out of a different space. A couple other stories are coming in there, and uh, just that incredible hike being out there in the majesty, the beauty, the specialness of the wild. All right, it's Chicken Space, episode 17. Glad you're here. That I'm going, and it's a hard road All right, here we go. It's Chicken Space, episode 17. And I thought I should get this started in the middle of it instead of afterwards. And I'm on a hike and it's intermittently raining. Got my three big dogs, took care of the chickens this morning, just afternoon. And the emotion all this morning has been just this deep sadness. And the feeling is in my head. And uh, in previous podcasts, you know, I've been talking about the ice method and memory reconsolidation and dealing with those things that are arriving as upsets in my life. So I thought I would start this recording while I'm in the middle of it. We'll see how it comes out. And then if you've been following, as you know, in these last couple of podcasts, the last one, was about the world changing around currency and money. And the one previous to that was the world changing uh, earlier, recent in our human history, but 12,000 years ago or so, when people started growing our own food in place rather than gathering um, from what came as the gift of nature 
and I had said over the last couple weeks that I would be doing something that maybe tried to tie all of that together. And then this morning, listening to a couple pieces of information um, off of listening while I was uh, taking care of the chickens, a couple of recordings that I played about um, about really that our economy may, we may literally be in the middle of it falling apart or the beginning end of, of it falling apart. That in three weeks, $1.2 trillion are gonna be put into the economy. That we now have negative interest rates. Uh, if you put your money, or, well not yet in this country, but in Europe, our president is calling for that here, zero or negative. But in Europe, many countries, if you put your money in the bank, if you put $100 in the bank and come back a year later, you would expect that you would get the interest rate $102 or $104 back. Now you get 90 something. The interest rates are negative. Just this sadness as I listen to these things and as I've absorbed them over the last weeks, things that just hadn't been paying much attention to. It's like, wow. We're in that time where it seems quite plausible that we're heading for another financial breakdown. And what people are saying is this time it's going to be much stronger, much more severe. And in fact, back then they put in $80 billion a month. Now they're putting in um, $75 billion or more each day. And just this emotion of sadness. I think the sadness, gosh, you know, so, so that's the sadness this morning. And um, wanting to kind of bring these pieces together from the last couple of weeks. Um, just, I think I remember back in 2008, we were living with friends and um, Gosh, I got so close to losing their house. And I remember um, lots of people losing their houses and the things that happened in, how people came and bought up things for pennies on the dollar. They had the resource and others lost everything. There was a guy working at the market, one of the places where I pick up food. He talked about how during that 2008 crisis, both he and his wife lost all of their retirement savings and uh, it changed his expectation of his life forever. Just this sadness, remembering how that was back then. And they're talking about, oh, it's gonna be more severe, more impactful this time around. And paying attention to that sadness, there's just this upset that the powers that be, the Federal Reserve, the, the banks, the institutional powers can just make this happen. There's, there's some talk of the intentionality of this. The wealthy will profit even more, ready to take advantage. And those who aren't aware, those who are naive, those who are unknowing, um, just gonna suffer. And one of the biggest issues I think we have in our society, the distribution of wealth and the splitting of that wealth more and more and more profoundly um, to fewer and fewer and fewer people. Oh my gosh, Eddie the cat's walking along with us too. That is just the most amazing cat. We're out in a hike, gonna probably go three, four, five miles. Eddie's gonna probably be out front the whole way, just caught up. Hi, Eddie. So, in previous years, um, I think I'm like so, so let me talk about ice now, this ice method, memory reconsolidation. And let me talk about David Hawkins, probably the person who's had the most influence on me in these last number of years with my reading, who, who has written about consciousness and awareness, he uses the word enlightenment, but that's not the big deal. It's like consciousness, 
of the consciousness that holds this whole universe um, together. And one of the most profound uh, words, lines that I got from um, Mr. Hawkins, he passed away some years ago, but in the reading is, the meaning of life is the meaning of life. And I remember reading that and just being stuck on the meaning of that sentence, like it not, it not clicking into place for me. And then how, after it's probably weeks of just like you know, waking up, reading that line, the meaning of life is the meaning of life. What do you mean the meaning of life is the meaning of life? That doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't make any sense because you're just saying the meaning is the meaning. And then it hit me. The meaning of life is the meaning of life. And any other meaning that you put on it other than that becomes your meaning of life. And so in my earlier days, the, the emotion that I put on life in the middle of things like this, this injustice of institutional powers taking advantage of other people for their own benefit, the emotion used to be just this strong anger generating a, a, an energy for justice, right? If you go back through my life, the work for native justice when we lived in Nome, after that, the unicycle ride. I gotta have a note for that other planet about unicycling. Maybe they'll all start unicycling someday. Oh yeah, and if I didn't mention it, this is one of those notes for the other planet. That psychic who came and said, oh man, you're like, you're like, you're from another planet. And your job is to take notes and report back on what Earth is like, right? So, so this note, that I used to be in that place of justice, seeking justice, and the emotion was anger, and how I took on those projects in Nome for Native American rights. As a pastor, and campus pastor at Michigan State University in Lansing, for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender rights, and then a unicycle ride for each of those. One book, one wheel, many spokes, the other straight into gay America. We came to this town trying to keep it on a small scale, a small business. Walmart came in and taking on that fight and then just growing weary after that. After all that fighting, all that anger, weary in no sense of what to do next. So I just went to work, took care of the family. And then this healing journey started. First with EFT and then a half year of intense reading and like getting this insight of the science that they were beginning to write about, about memory reconsolidation. The way that we store experiences and emotions in our life and the way we can come to bringing uh, those emotions to calm. And here I am with this strong sadness, feel it in my head, like between my temples, specifically, like not down lower between my ears, not at the back of my head, not way in the front, but between my temples. And so I, I wanted to turn this recording on and do this ice, do this memory reconsolidation now. So it's not just talking about it afterwards that you can feel this way, but, but going through it. Right now my dog is really pulling on me because he just saw a herd of deer. And he's a big dog, aren't you, Bergen? Slow down those 150 pounds, thank you. And I couldn't figure out this morning what the sadness was. And now as I tell the story, I think it's not the anger of injustice, but the sadness of injustice. I don't feel angry about the stuff that's happening, but I feel this strong sense of sadness. Think about the world and the way the world is and the injustice of it and the unfairness of it the naivete and the hiddenness of it and those that get to be insiders and those that are outsiders right between my temples. 
above my ears. And from that place, that identification, first step of ice, of the emotion, the experience, of any, any sense of what it is, you just take what you get. Right? This works for PTSD, this works for physical pain, this works for experiences in life. You take what you get. And then instead of just spending your time in that awareness, in that sense, you back out from it for a moment. You bring yourself to a place where your attention goes to the space between things. Nobody told me about this in terms of reconsolidation before. I mean, in meditation, yes, this is what we do. We're applying that principle now to actually bringing an upset to calm that's stored inside of us. And there are so many ways to do it. You can just look at one object. When you pay attention to it, your attention goes outside of the issue into that object. There's the top of a ponderosa pine. You can look at a second object. There's that second top of that other ponderosa pine in that other valley. What a beautiful day to be out. Intermittent rain, dogs, quiet. And from those two points, you look at the space that's in between. Look at a space that has nothing in it. And you become a reaction to nothing instead of something. And there's a physiological change that goes on in you. Stress turns off because stress is a response to something, right? This injustice of what's going on in our world right now. <sighs> you might yawn. You might sigh. You'll feel a difference. Let yourself be aware of that space. You can come back and listen to this video or this podcast or other podcasts I've made or go to my YouTube channel ice method or my facebook page where i made these facebook live things for people once in a while i hear somebody uses it and it's like wow this helps me that's the second step ice i-c-e identify calm exchange identify the sadness how my awareness is out in that space that has nothing in it notice that even though it's there i can keep talking to you it's not exclusive of the other experience of our life. It's just we typically don't live out of this space. Now from this calm space, now I go back into that sadness. I go back into what I identified. I go back into, oh my gosh, I really believe now, based on listening for four or five, six weeks and seeing these things happen on national and international levels that we are coming to a crisis point in our global economy, which will be a crisis point in our global culture, our global society, our global well-being. And I go into that emotion of sadness again. I go back into it. If you're doing this for yourself or something, if you come back and play this instead of just listening to it, just Really let yourself be in the awareness of these three positions, identification, calm, and exchange, and you will reconsolidate whatever you activated in the identification stage. That is, you will be able to be in the presence of it with the emotion of calm. Nothing better about doing it or not, but for me, it's like once I identify that sadness, I would like to be able to be in the presence of this situation, be active in it, from a place of freedom rather than the reactivity of sadness or anger or whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with the sadness or the anger. Keep them as long as you want, but if the time comes that you don't want to live with that, if you live with an anxiety or a trauma or a stress or something like that, and you've reached that time where you would be okay with being calm in the presence of that situation. Right? I've helped people after their divorces or breakups or becoming aware of different issues in their life. And after reconsolidating, they can move forward in freedom. Wouldn't I like to be free in the face of what's coming, what I believe is coming soon, to our economy, to 
to our world. Yes, I would like to be free. And pay attention to that sadness. And it's not like I'm giddy or not attentive to the situation, but the feeling is a little bit different. It's moved actually further back in my head. The sadness isn't making me want to cry anymore like it was. Not exactly, totally, completely calm. There's still something else there. And what do I need to do is to go back and identify again. Identify whatever next comes up. And it may take me a day or two or longer to identify that next piece. The sadness started, the sadness feeling started yesterday for me. And I didn't really identify what it was, you know, what seemed to be about until this morning. That's the process for me, real life. It's the process I do with other people in my ice method work. And it's profoundly helpful for those who want to live, um, who are ready to not be captured any longer by uh, this reactivity to upset emotions. Again, nothing wrong with those upset emotions. I did a lot of uh, helpful work out of my anger on injustice. But there came a time when I was worn out and I didn't want to live in reaction to those emotions anymore. So um, what's there for me to do now is to um, pay attention to these things I've heard and learned about where we are in our global situation now. Pay attention to the emotions that arise now. And whatever there is that arises that's not calm, I can pay attention to it. Maybe it's days more before it becomes to awareness. Maybe it shows up and I can reconsolidate it. But whenever it's identified, if I want to, I can reconsolidate it. And somebody who's committed to living out of anger for injustice like I used to be would say, oh, you need that anger, you need that injustice feeling um, to make a difference. And that's okay, but that perspective comes from inside of the anger that I used to hold. Who's to say I can't still make an effective participatory decision out of calm? Calm doesn't mean non-participation. Calm just means the ability to proceed into the future and to live in the present without an upset reactivity. In the six, seven, eight years, whatever it is that I've been exploring this, uh, that's become more and more of an attractive and seemingly wholesome and healthy place for me, at least, to live my life out of. And it's been a great pleasure to work with other people to help them to have um, to have this for themselves. All right, I'm going to turn this off for a little while. I'm going to do a little more work. And then uh, I'm going to come back and um, just this craziness of trying to put together hunting, gathering culture, agricultural culture, changing economy, and just this real super craziness that, wow, I was just introduced to this digital asset, and oh my gosh, it looks like digital currency is going to come onto the scene now uh, in a big way, not, well, I'll get back to that. Okay, well, I got underneath that deer fence. That's a fence that was put up to keep the deer away from all the orchards down below. Hiked around on some area that's new to me. I've never been on. Now I'm on the backside of, I guess, a small mountain or a big knob or something up in the back of our chicken property. And uh, I was going to start this. I was going to sit down, do a little reflection for myself and then start this and then Eddie the cat climbed up on my lap. She's been up on my shoulder. She's been up on my head. And now like for the first time of the season, it's a rainy day. There's snowflakes or ice flakes falling out of the sky like a thick, slow rain. And they're gathering up on Eddie's back. And here we are. There's low bush manzanitas around sitting in this 
sitting in this little hollow and then I'll get to hike up that knob and uh, what an incredible incredible experience to not miss and yet I'm thinking about those things that I just spoke about a few minutes ago checking on that sadness that sadness it's still there but the feeling in the head is gone so something shifted something's reconsolidated more to pay attention to um, and a couple stories came to mind as I was hiking around and got to this little hollow here and uh, a couple things happened uh, last week and then I don't know which one to tell you first they're both kind of poignant um, but I'm gonna start with the, the little piece of shaved chocolate and uh, I had guests this weekend a couple wonderful folks had come to help me with the chickens and uh, we had a really 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 good time and I didn't really know that they were following these podcasts uh, each week uh, Eddie just jumped up on my neck again. Hi, Eddie. And uh, there you are, back down on my on my knee. Uh, but uh, we were having dinner, and and they told me, or Anita told me this story about how uh, she's an immigrant from Germany. Her parents are, and uh, after World War II, uh, it was really tough in Germany. Uh, nobody had much patience or compassion for them after everything that happened. So the people who had survived were uh, desperately uh, impoverished. And so Anita's mother uh, every week sent boxes, um, uh, shipped them back to her family. And uh, earlier Anita told me she didn't really have any, any uh, cousins, uh, siblings. Uh, her mother didn't have siblings. So it was like, well, who'd you send these to? Well, she started selling, sending them to relatives, and then the relatives, uh, they, other people would find out she was doing this, and they would write a letter to Anita's mom saying, could you, could you include me in these packages? And so Anita's mother had this canner where they would take flour and sugar in bulk, and they would put it in cans, and they would seal these cans and put them in. Um, and she got up to sending 50 packages a month, and um, I mean that just uh, just touched my heart to hear of somebody that 50 packages a month she was packaging up and sending, and then you were allowed to send one candy bar and one uh, package of cigarettes back. But what she did was um, in those cans of flour and sugar and whatever else the staples that were being sent back she would uh, uh, hide more candy and more cigarettes. And um, so then Anita told me, like, as, as she got bigger and older and she decided she wanted to take a year away and just go travel. And she said, one of the biggest embarrassments of my life is that I told my mom I was gonna go travel in Europe. And uh, she said, well, I want you to go to these people that we've been sending boxes to. And Anita said, I don't want to go to them. That's not what I'm going to Europe for. And her mother made her. And uh, it's one of the great memories of her life to go back and hear those stories of all of these families that were impacted by her mother um, sending 50 boxes per month back to these 50 different families. And they would take those uh, smuggled cigarettes and those smuggled candies and they were able to trade them for more staples to help them um, survive that really desperate time and what what an incredible um, story to hear and Tom and Anita they both carry those traits they're um, off on their way to volunteer at Holden Village now for a week and they do all kinds of other things that are amazing for other people so um, those things have carried on through them what their mother did um, for people back in Germany after World War II to help them survive and um, that goes back like it feels like wow that's really um, certainly a virtue of the Christian faith and also certainly a tie back to the, the values of um, hunting gathering. And my little thesis is that um, Jesus and the Buddha 5,000 years after hunting gathering begins, they're trying to remind us of these values of hunting gathering, of sharing, of community, not as something that's like... Um, a virtue or a special thing to do or like makes you a better person. It was survival to understand um, that a community 
survive together because because we all we all were part of that if you didn't do that you didn't survive certainly up in Nome there was nowhere to go these people were living hundreds of miles from the next group of people and in the middle of winter living by a seal oil lamp um, in a small uh, little hut that had whalebone foundation and sod building uh, there was no way to get away from that the only reason you survived was because everybody survived. And so that story that Anita told was like, uh, just so much like, oh, yeah, those are, those are the values of 12,000 years ago showing up there in Anita's mother um, and such a beautiful thing. And then the other, well, I, I included it in my, uh, notes last week in the newsletter, but my friend Denver, who was writing like the piece about economy that we that we're missing, is it was made money was made for us to take care of other people. Um, so that I wrote there last week. But then another friend of mine said, "I want you to watch this documentary, and I want you to watch it the whole way through." And it was called uh, "One Nation Under Stress," and you can look it up and watch it. And he said, I want you to watch the whole thing. And I watched the whole thing and it just kind of broke my heart. And it starts right out with this coroner who does um, 500 autopsies a year. And 300 of the 500 were either by drugs or by suicide. And he said, this is not just happening in my office. He said, this is, this is happening around the country. And so this was a documentary by Sanjay Gupta, who's a medical doctor, commentator, Starting to hike again here, guys. It's raining a little more, isn't it? Should we continue? Uh, by the Sanjay Gupta, um, uh, doctor and a news commentator. And he, he became aware that the life expectancy in the United States was decreasing for the first time. And so he was like, what's this about? And by the time he finished the movie, it had been decreasing three years in a row. And what they... What they said was, these are deaths by despair. Death by despair. And people, they went to the Rust Belt and they interviewed people um, where not just their livelihood, their economy was being uh, taken away from them, but their sense of meaning, their sense of purpose. And people describing how they'd gone to work for years and years and years and one day showed up and put their card in uh, to to go back to work and it just didn't work. Nobody had been told that the company was closing down. They just showed up and found out it was closed down. But this, and then they interviewed teenagers, teenagers who were like, no, we're really not surprised that all this violence is going on in the schools and all this stuff is happening. Death by despair. And you know, to be out here, oh, going uphill now, breathing a little harder. And to be out here in the middle of this nature with these three dogs and this cat, this crazy cat who just keeps following us on this hike. She's all soggy because she's going through the brush. And it's all wet, but she's totally happy. And being out here in the middle of this and just seeing what we truly are a part of. The gift and the grace of the moment of life. And how our culture... Um, like so much has been reduced to things that aren't providing us meaning and purpose anymore. Which relates to these concerns about like being in this time when our economy is um, maybe reaching a new crisis point. Not like it hasn't been for many people. That was part of the point of the movie. Like certain few people have been benefiting. But more and more and more people in our, our nation, this was about the United States, are no longer part of that um, greater and greater acquisition of stuff. So that was really something to watch at. And, what well, my friend said was, you know what, Lars, there is a lot of need for your ice method work. There is a lot of need for us to be able um, 
identify and to come to a place of meaning and purpose and calm in the middle of this world. Almost slipped on a rock there. In the middle of this world that um, holds so many challenges. And there was the example of a woman who her husband was super supportive of her. He said, you know, I married her. She's in the state of um, medicated drug addiction and lost her job, job taken away, meaning purpose. But he said, you know, I signed up for us for life. And she ends up in treatment. And a year later, she, um, she is doing fantastic. And she has been taught ways of meditating, of calming, of being in nature, of taking care of her family. And a great story of sort of finding a way forward through this. But what a shift. What a shift in sort of the meaning of life. It had to shift past um, employment or having things or like being part of this, this way that life has been told to us that it's meaningful. Like work and education and money and savings and all these things. And she had to find something deeper and more profound. And now she can live. She has techniques and methods, but there's also a gratitude and a thankfulness in her life for the days that she has. So I wanted to share that. If you want to watch that documentary, One Nation Under Stress. And then think about these bigger things that we can frame ourselves inside of. And for me, like one of the biggest ones is what I mentioned here at the beginning from David Hawkins, that the meaning of life is the meaning of life. And if we back ourselves out into that space that has nothing in it, then we can look at all the stuff in it and see that however we engage it is however we engage it. But if we can stabilize our attention in the space that has nothing in it, then we can enter in from this place where nothing and everything are connected, the infinite, source, being, God, whatever you want to call it, the field, I mean, people for the ages have been trying to put words on this sense. And we never get the words right. When the words are never complete, right? Because the words are always the somethings that just point us to the nothing and the everything that lies beyond these somethings. And somehow that woman in that movie, One Nation Under Stress, her attention was shifted and she was able to stabilize her attention in a place now that was bigger or a place in which she could find meaning and purpose where before the meaning of her life had been focused in a place where, um, where what she described was she wanted to take the shotgun that was in her house and just end it all because it was too much to deal with life from the place that she was in. One nation under stress. And then I think of that woman, Anita's mother, who packaged up those 50 packages. And I don't know like what, what her emotion was that she was operating out of. Was she angry? You know, at what had happened in World War II? How family was being treated now? About the things, all the stuff, the atrocities that happened in World War II? Or was she sad? Or was she afraid? I don't know. But I, I sense that it would possible be possible if one was calm, if one was coming out of this place of infinite awareness, that one could quite naturally still package up 50 boxes 
a month and send them to people. I can imagine that the anger that drove my work for justice, for gay and lesbian people, for native people, for local economies, I can imagine that that work could proceed out of calm. And I can imagine that this sadness I was feeling this morning for what I sense is going to be coming for our economy and the injustice of it, the injustice of institutions and organizations that are taking advantage of other people so that they can grow a wealth distribution at the cost of great human suffering. I can imagine that it's possible to participate in this out of a sense of knowing or experiencing calm experiencing source awareness knowing that the meaning of life is the meaning of life knowing that I can come into this field of duality of of pain and suffering and joy and hope from a place where where the sense of the all is present. And people talk about feeling that in nature, and here I am, oh, the rain turned back into rain, now it's snow again. You know, where like, if you actually, now I'm on a really steep slope going up the side of it. Quite a ways still up to the top of that mountain I'm climbing up, big knob, hill, whatever you want to call it. Mountain sounds impressive. be in the middle of this, oh my gosh, just about takes words away. So beautiful. The shape of the land, the difference between like the grassy areas and the rocky cliffs that I'm climbing through and the things that are close. I'm standing right next to this burnt log from a forest fire that went through a long time ago to the distant things hazy in this uh, in this light snowfall and then there's snow up higher if I hiked up a number of hundred feet more over in the far ridge I'd be up in the snow and how we can put our attentions in the some things of nature and what we're given as gift what's created But like lots of people live in cities where it's hard to like get out to a place and walk in a place I've never walked before. No trails, maybe some deer trails. Living in cities where, you know, like grow a radish, grow something alive so you get a sense of nature of something living again. And beyond the natural, beyond the concrete, everywhere there's this space you can say I see that stop sign when you're walking in the middle of Manhattan I see that stop sign and I see the space between myself and that stop sign in these Tom and Anita folks that we're visiting Tom's a retired doc and he keeps studying the brain and things like that and he says you know there's a lot of research now that when we vocalize things we activate different parts in our brain. And that's certainly been my sense without the studies. That when we say that, I see the ponderosa pine and that far ridge. And I see the space between myself and that ponderosa. And when we say it, we slow this rushing, frantic brain speed down to the slow speed of speech until, like if we play with this, we actually can see the space that has nothing in it. And wherever our awareness is, we, whatever we are, becomes a reaction to wherever we put our attention. And there is so little um, attention put on putting our attention in the space of nothing especially in this culture we live in, it's put it on something, put it in some reactivity, do something, make something, get something. And everywhere, from Times Square 
in Manhattan to this steep hill that I'm climbing up that's getting steeper and steeper. There is space. Space between my boot and the earth. Space between myself and these dogs. Space between myself and the story of Anita's mother packaging up 50 boxes a month to help people survive in post-World War II Germany. Space between myself and David Hawkins like giving me that great, great riddle. The meaning of life is the meaning of life. You can pack boxes from that place. You can hike from that place. You can enter into a turbulent economy from that place. You can engage our history of hunting and gathering and the transition to agriculture from that place. Yeah, I wish you could see this. I'm standing here, super hill, steep hillside. Cat's 30 feet below me, two dogs behind me. And I have Bergen on a leash. I told you he likes to wander, so he's on a leash full time now. But he's found this rock that's halfway up my knee. And there he's standing like a statue with a head looking around right next to me. Oh, what a moment, Bergen. Yes, indeed, sir. And right on the other side of this knob is all of those chickens. And not in a survivalist way, but I am so thankful to be involved with the production of food in the middle of nature in that ground where together with water and the sun and the history of nutrition of living things that become soil, um, we get most of the food that we eat. Yeah, it's a lot of work. People come up and look and like, how do you do this every single day? And I say, oh yeah, my life is like Groundhog Day. Every 24 hours, it's the same exact thing over and over. No weekends for a year now. I mean, it's a weekend, it's Sunday right now. But every day, every 24 hours, my life repeats. And like taking this hike out of it and being here. And, uh, there's a lot of appreciation for it. And as I said in previous podcasts, like I was hopeful that the sharing of it would, um, you know, if you're in a place where you're stuck on a freeway or something and, and a lot of your life is going back and forth to a place to make money and instead of making meaning that um, this would be refreshing, freshening up your life on this incredible planet that we get to live. And, and like how incredible this moment is. Like if you're looking at a steering wheel in traffic, wow, there's space between yourself and your steering wheel. There's space between you and the car ahead of you. And in that space, it's exactly the same space, that infinite space as the space here. What's showing up in the space here is the dogs and the cat and the nature. What's showing up in your space is that stuff. But if we see it from space, from the emptiness of everything and nothing, from non-duality, oh, I mean, what a gift. And that is the piece for me to keep paying attention to, reconsolidate whatever gets in the way of this current momentary awareness as I pay attention to like the things I'm learning about um, the world and the shifts and the changes right now as we pump a trillion dollars of debt into our economy in three weeks. Those are just numbers, but 2008 wasn't just numbers, right? All those people that lost their homes, lost their retirements. And what's happening now is in a single day, what took a month to do last time. And how that's the stuff now that's showing up out of infinity. 
And there's a space between ourselves. Always a space. Our life is in that, our death is in that, whatever came before, our family's in that space, it all comes out of it. Oh, that lady in One Nation Under Stress, that uh, she ended up being in a much better place after a year. I don't know if they ever used that word space and non-duality, I have no idea, but I'd bet a nickel that somehow, in some way, it doesn't matter the words, she was able to frame her life into a bigger picture picture that held um, a greater meaning, a greater purpose, a greater sense of being held in this whole thing. Yep, I guess those were some of the things I wanted to share with you. I wish you were here. I wish there was a hundred of us out on this hike, just like quietly beholding the space, feeling the snowflakes coming down. Super wet, so wet that there's no snow on the ground, just on the backs of the fur of these dogs. Probably in the top of my head too. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue on this hike. It's not like a sadness between my ears, it's just it's not like an upset. It's just like a sadness of awareness of of the times that it seems like we're in now and how most of us don't know it. And how the news mostly just keeps saying everything's fine. I mean, that's a piece of it too, right? It's hard to even get the story of what's really going on. All the manipulation and the spin and the... Wow. Here we are in the middle of all of that. And there's space between all of it. So go find that space if you can, if you want, if that's meaningful to you. I'll leave you with David Hawkins who says, the meaning of life is the meaning of life. What a great puzzle to enjoy. The meaning of this snowfall, of me getting soggy, is the meaning of this snowfall and me getting soggy. And any other meaning I put on that is the meaning I put on that. And the meaning of life is the meaning of life. All right, doggies, all right, kitty. Let's go hike that. Hike that big knob, that small mountain. I know you guys will love that. I will too. All right, that's chicken space for this time. Go back to those chickens so you can hear them. Make a little intro, make a little outro. Get this out to those wonderful people who put this podcast together. Thank you so much for doing that. And I look forward to sharing it with you. And if there's something you want to share with me, you just let me know. All right, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right, we all got home well from that hike, finished up with the chickens, and uh, got home to put these notes together, get the files ready, and send them over to the wonderful people that put the podcast together, and uh, realized that I should give you a little update. So it, this is actually just a little footnote, and it's from the morning after of the hike, and uh, during the hike uh, in this podcast, right, I was working with that emotion of sadness. It was pretty strong for me. I was going through it there on the podcast with you about how I reconsolidate things, how I use the ice method, how I uh, remove those stored upsets um, from um, the storage of my life experience. And so this is a footnote here from the next morning. I'm just about ready to send those files over and thought I would add this little one that as I go back in and check on that sadness, as I go back into the financial crisis of 2008, as I look forward into what seems to me at least uh, the, the place that we're headed in the, in the not too distant future, um, the emotion of sadness is not arising for me anymore. And I think someone could say, well, gosh, it's not real if it's not sad. But another person, um, like these people I listen to who are talking about the economy, some of them, the emotion for them is anger. And there are others that I listen to uh, for whom the emotion is fear. And that person might say, you know, unless you're afraid, it's not real for you. That the emotion is what makes a thing real. And what I've come to realize is, no, it's real all right. But the stored upsets of my life that... I take into those experiences and that determine 
my emotional reaction to those things, when I reconsolidate those, I can come at life from a place of calm, a place of peace, a place that no longer has that emotional reactivity. And coming from a place of calm doesn't mean that you get inactivated. In fact, actually, it allows you, I think, a greater variety of active ways of being. If your emotion is fear, then you're, you're in that situation out of fear, or if it's sadness, or if it's anger, or if it's joy, or if it's bliss, or whatever, some kind of a reactivity. Again, nothing wrong with them. But coming at this now from a place, at least at this moment, that has calm and peace, and I say at this moment because something else could arise, something else that I haven't reconsolidated, right? And I trust that if that does arise, and if I do want to use memory reconsolidation on it, if I do want to reconsolidate it, if I do want to ice it to calm, then I can use the same process that I used earlier in this podcast. That's the way I live my life now. It's not that it's without upset, but it is that I use this process in my life whenever something comes up that I want to bring to calm. So now from this calm place, I feel like I have a greater uh, variety, a greater horizon of ways to enter into what seems to me like this coming situation of economic um, difficulties. And I'm really inspired by and the story of Anita's mother that she told me who put together these 50 boxes to help people. And it would be okay to do that out of calm and peace rather than sadness, fear, or anger. So I told that story to my mom, the story about the boxes. And my mom said to me, oh, because she grew up in Denmark. She's an immigrant from Denmark. She's a couple years older than Anita. And she, in Denmark, was actually the recipient of a box that her uncle in the United States sent her after the Second World War when times in Denmark were very, very tough. So she was the recipient of one of those boxes. And I knew this uncle. Uh, he also lived in Los Angeles where I grew up, where our family uh, was raised. And he would come over. And the piece I want to share with you is that he was... He was this odd duck. He would come over and he would talk for hours about um, his, his theories of something called technocracy back then and, and its societal implications. And he and my dad would be on this, these, uh, these complicated philosophical discussions. And, and uh, I, I loved my uncle, but I also saw him as this kind of odd character. And I think now in thinking of him sending over these boxes, it's like, yeah, that was a saintly act, but he didn't sure didn't appear like this special different saint uh, to me. And, and as I put those two things together, um, someone doing a saintly thing just out of whoever they were, I just find that such a beautiful thing. Um, and sort of that opportunity to live that way of sharing boxes of good just from the place that we are. And the fact that my uncle is an odd duck, I like that a lot. I think I'm pretty much one of those two when people think about me. So hopefully I'll be able to do uh, some sending of boxes in the midst of the oddness. All right, that's a little footnote. Uh, we'll get back to the conclusion of the podcast and then uh, I look forward to visiting with you again uh, next time. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining for episode 17 of Chicken Space. Glad you could uh, come along on that wonderful hike. And uh, if you want more information about the ice method that, that I was using there on the hike, again, you can go to icemethod.com. Want to know more about these chickens? Maybe you can hear them in the background. Hi, guys. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for all your work today laying those eggs. Uh, you can go if you want more information to manyspokes.com. All right. Um, I guess that's, that's what we got for this time. I'm so thankful to share the time with you. 
Um, just to be out in that nature and to share that, what a gift. Wish you'd been along on the hike with me. Maybe we can all have a hike together someday. All right, take care. See you next time. Bye-bye. I know it's a hard road that I'm going. And it's a hard